People v. Frederick Badgi. De Fiori, Chief Judge. The primary question presented by this appeal is whether the definition of credit card for purposes of Penal Law 155.007 includes the credit card account number, such that the people need not prove that a defendant physically possessed the tangible credit card in order to support a conviction of grand larceny based upon credit card theft. Here, defendant's conviction of grand larceny in the fourth degree was based on defendant's theft of the victim's credit card account number to purchase goods, although there was no evidence that defendant possessed the physical card itself. We conclude that the definition of credit card in General Business Law 511-1, as supplemented by General Business Law 511-A, is the controlling definition as designated by Penal Law 155.00-7, and, as a result, the evidence is legally sufficient to support defendant's conviction of grand larceny for stealing an intangible credit card account number. I. In 2015, defendant was hired as a temporary assistant to the victim, a managing director at a non-profit organization. Defendant's administrative responsibilities included making travel arrangements and completing expense reports. In that capacity, he had access to the victim's corporate credit card information, Uber account information and the victim's physical workspace. Over a four-day period in April 2015, defendant, without authorization, used the victim's personal and corporate credit card accounts to make several purchases, some of asterisk two, which were captured on surveillance camera. The victim discovered the theft and alerted authorities. Defendant was charged by indictment with four counts of grand larceny in the fourth degree, attempted grand larceny in the fourth degree and two counts of criminal possession of stolen property in the fourth degree. Relevant to our determination here, defendant used the victim's personal credit card to make several purchases. Defendant swiped the credit card at the point of sale for each purchase. At trial, the surveillance footage of one of the transactions was admitted into evidence and the victim was permitted to testify to her opinion that defendant was the person depicted in the video making the purchase. Limiting instructions were given to the jury, reminding them that they bore the ultimate responsibility of determining whether defendant was the person depicted and that they could accept or reject the victim's testimony on that issue. Defendant also used the victim's corporate credit card account number to purchase a two-year cellular service agreement, an iPhone and other equipment at a Verizon store. Defendant signed the receipt in his own name. Still photographs taken from surveillance footage of this transaction were admitted into evidence. The victim was again permitted to testify that she recognized defendant as the person depicted making the purchase, subject to the same limiting instruction to the jury. The same corporate account number was also used to pay for an unauthorized Uber ride. At trial, there was no proof that defendant possessed the physical credit card for either of these transactions. The victim testified that, immediately after receiving notification that an Uber ride had been ordered on her corporate account without her knowledge, she confronted defendant, the only person who had access to her Uber account information. Defendant provided a flurry of inconsistent responses when asked about the transaction and even chastised her for leaving her wallet open on her desk. The victim further testified that she texted a photograph of defendant to the Uber driver who provided the unauthorized ride, in an attempt to ascertain whether the driver could identify defendant as the passenger. She also testified that, based on the driver's response she concluded that defendant was, probably, the passenger. However, the Uber driver ultimately testified that, although he recalled someone texting him a photo relating to the misuse of their account, he had no reaction to viewing the photo at the time.
The jury convicted defendant of three counts of grand larceny in the fourth degree, attempted grand larceny in the fourth degree and criminal possession of stolen property in the fourth degree. The appellate division unanimously affirmed, specifically rejecting defendant's challenge to the legal sufficiency of his grand larceny conviction involving the corporate credit card account number, despite the absence of proof that he was in physical possession of the corporate credit card. The court also rejected defendant's evidentiary challenges as either unpreserved or without merit. A judge of this court granted defendant leave to appeal and we now affirm. 2. A person is guilty of grand larceny in the fourth degree when such person steals property and when the property consists of a credit card or debit card. Penal Law 155.304. For purposes of Title J of the Penal Law, offenses involving theft, a credit card means any instrument or article defined as a credit card in General Business Law 511, Penal Law 155.007. Section 511, in turn, provides that in this article, i.e., Article 29A of the General Business Law unless the context or subject matter otherwise requires, credit card means and includes any credit card, credit plate, charge plate, courtesy card, or other identification card or device issued by a person to another person which may be used to obtain a cash advance or a loan or credit or to purchase or lease property or services on the credit of the issuer or of the holder. General Business Law 5 in 2002, the legislature enacted an additional definition, which, for purposes of Article 29A, expanded the definition of credit card to include any number assigned to a credit card, General Business Law 511A. The language of the additional definition of a credit card in Section 511A, incorporating account numbers, is free from ambiguity. Defendant argues, however, that the prefatory language limiting the application of the expanded definition in Section 511A to Article 29A of the General Business Law means that the expanded definition of credit card does not apply to the penal law, despite the penal law's longstanding direction to the General Business Law's definition of credit card see Penal Law 155.007. He argues that the legislative choice to enact a separate additional definitional statute, instead of amending the definition of credit card in Section 511, demonstrates an intent to exclude intangible credit card information from any criminal offenses relating to theft. In statutory interpretation cases, the court's primary consideration is to ascertain and give effect to the intention of the legislature. The statutory text is the clearest indication of legislative intent and courts should construe unambiguous language to give effect to its plain meaning. At the outset, the language of the relevant statutes unambiguously provides that a credit card number is incorporated within the Section 511 definition of credit card for purposes of Article 29A of the General Business Law. There is no dispute that the only definition of credit card applicable to grand larceny is, by legislative dictate of Penal Law 155.007, the one contained in Section 511. The inclusion of a credit card number in the definition of credit card under Section 511A necessarily applies to the definition in Section 511, which is likewise contained in Article 29A of the General Business Law. This expanded definition of credit card, in turn, necessarily applies to the definition of credit card used in the penal law. 
The term credit card in Section 511 should be interpreted to have a consistent meaning, rather than one meaning for purposes of Article 29A and another meaning for purposes of the penal law, which is entirely dependent on Article 29A for the definitional term. The most reasonable reading of the plain language of the statutes is that Section 511A supplements the definition of Section 511 for all provisions to which Article 29A is applicable, including the penal law. The primary consideration of courts in interpreting a statute is to ascertain and give effect to the intention of the legislature, and, although the strongest indication of the statute's meaning is in its plain language, the legislative history of an enactment may also be relevant and is not to be ignored even if words be clear. Here, a review of the legislative history buttresses the conclusion that is evident from the statute's plain language. The stated purpose of the 2002 legislation was to enact laws to prohibit and penalize identity theft. In addition to creating the expanded definition of credit card, the amendments created the new criminal offenses of identity theft and possession of personal identification information, Penal Law 190.77 to 190.84, expanded the geographical jurisdiction for the prosecution of those crimes, established restitution remedies for card holders as crime victims and increased consumer protection. For the purposes of these new penal law offenses, the Act defined personal identifying information to include a host of intangible information, including credit card account numbers see Penal Law 190.771. The Act did not expressly amend any then-existing penal law offenses relating to credit cards, nor did it amend or create any other new provisions, apart from Section 511A, in Article 29A of the General Business Law. In light of defendants' claim that the purposes of Article 29A of the General Business Law do not extend to the penal law, a further historical view is enlightening. Article 29A was enacted in 1961 to protect credit card users from liability for fraudulent purchases made on their cards. That initial version of the statute also contained a provision in the general business law making it the crime of larceny for a person to fraudulently obtain property or services by use of a credit card issued to another person. In 1969, when the legislature amended the penal law and the general business law to address the increasing problem of credit card fraud, that general business law provision was repealed. The legislative history demonstrates that the misuses prescribed in that original general business law statute were covered by the additional amendments to the penal law and were crimes more properly addressed in the criminal law. Demonstrating the fundamental interaction of the laws in question, the legislature removed the definition of credit card from the penal law in favor of the general business law definition, explaining that it was unnecessary to retain both definitions. And the general business law definition was felt to be the better of the two. Significantly, the legislation also made the theft of a credit card a felony, to address the inability to prosecute the theft and possession of credit cards at the felony level under existing penal statutes due to valuation issues. The change reflected the reality that, although the card itself lacked any discernible market value, in the hands of the unscrupulous, a stolen credit card can be used to run up many thousands of dollars in purchases. The clear thrust of this legislative history is an ongoing effort to address the growth of economic crimes, the evolving methods used to perpetrate credit card fraud and the resulting need for greater consumer protections. 
As we have previously observed when addressing the 2002 amendments in a different context, the 2002 legislation was drafted at a time of increasing appreciation of the rise of e-commerce and the ease with which intangible personal information could be improperly obtained and used. We explained that the purpose of the broader 2002 legislative scheme was to address both the theft and use of personal identifying information. We also noted that a state Senate committee report drafted before the legislation was enacted noted that identity theft occurs when criminals steal the identity of law-abiding citizens by gaining access to their personal information such as name, address, social security number, credit card numbers, bank account numbers, or date of birth to apply for credit or to obtain goods, services, or money. We concluded that the legislation was intended to ensure maximum deterrence and the prosecution of unauthorized conduct as defined in the statute. Defendants' proposed statutory construction ignores the stated purpose of the 2002 amendment to punish and prohibit identity theft, the overarching legislative concern for effective and punitive tools to stem the tide of illegal use of intangible information to commit crimes, and the legislative history demonstrating a consistent desire to combat and prosecute credit card fraud in all of its manifestations. Defendant nonetheless posits that language in the sponsor's memo supports his position because, in explaining the creation of the additional definition of credit card in General Business Law 511A, the memo specified that it alters the definition of credit card only for purposes of the general business law. Defendant's reliance on this broad language used in the sponsor's memo is an apposite, as it does not reflect the statutory text, which limits application of the additional credit card definition to Article 29A of the General Business Law. Nor does it account for the other provisions that separately define credit card, either within Article 29A itself as used in this section, 521 5 as used in this article, 523 4 applying Article 29A definition or in other chapters of the consolidated laws. The reasonable reading of the sponsor's language, which, of course, does not alter the actual language of the statute, is as an acknowledgement that there were other definitional provisions of the consolidated laws to which this additional definition may not apply, rather than a subtle attempt to build a wall between the definition as applied to Article 29A and Title J of the Penal Law a definition that had been shared for decades. Defendants' suggestion that the legislature did not intend that the theft of intangible account information itself would be punishable as grand larceny because the possession or misuse of that account information is addressed by other provisions of the penal law is likewise without merit. One does not eliminate criminal offenses simply because a defendant's conduct falls within the ambit of more than one statute. To be sure, the legislature has created overlapping criminal statutes in its treatment of an access device, which includes the intangible property of calling card or credit card account numbers, that can be used to obtain telephone service Penal Law 155.007c. Specifically, it is the crime of fourth-degree grand larceny to steal the specific intangible property that constitutes an access device, defined to include a credit card number or account number, with the intent to use it unlawfully see Penal Law 155.30-10, 155.00-7c. It is a separate offense to use the access device unlawfully to obtain telecommunications services see Penal Law 190.75, 190.76. Defendant also maintains that any interpretation that results in the unequal treatment of credit cards and debit cards should not be countenanced. 
Yet, debit and credit cards are not similarly defined and the legislature chose not to expand the definition of debit card in 2002, when it created the additional definition of credit cards. Although the legislature has generally treated the two types of cards similarly, the fact is that they serve different purposes, only one allows for the purchase of property on credit. Moreover, Article 29A contains several other sections directed solely to the credit card. Based on the General Accounting Office report referenced in the 2002 Sponsors Memo, which emphasized payment card fraud and referenced MasterCard and Visa as sources for fraud losses, the legislature reasonably focused on credit cards as more closely linked to identity theft and fraudulent transactions. Indeed, the GAO report considered the increase in Internet usage in the 1990s and observed that the fastest-growing activity was online shopping. It is perfectly reasonable to interpret the 2002 amendments as an attempt to keep pace with commercial technology particularly e-commerce and an acknowledgement that possession of a physical card was obsolete in online credit transactions, making the theft of the credit card account number the same crime as the theft of the card itself. To that end, the dissent's invocation of the concept of aspiratation is completely misplaced. It is to be noted that not since 1942 have we in this jurisdiction been strictly bound to the ancient common law concepts of larcency. There is nothing in the definitions section of Penal Law 155.00 which states that aspiratation is in all cases an essential element of such taking or obtaining. Ancient common law could not possibly have conceived of the evolving technology in this area particularly, e-commerce. Similarly, the dissent's overly strict construction of the statute loses sight of the evil the legislature was attempting to remedy. Given that the enactment of a criminal statute often follows in the wake of the activity it attempts to penalize, courts should not legislate or nullify statutes by overstrict construction. Finally, defendant seeks to invoke the rule of lenity, asserting that, whenever there are two plausible readings of a criminal statute, a reading more favorable to the defendant must be adopted. This paraphrasing of the rule of lenity omits significant elements of the analysis. Although ambiguity in a criminal statute should be construed in the defendant's favor, underpinning the rule of lenity is the concern that an individual should have fair warning of conduct that is deemed criminal and that activity that will result in criminal punishment be clearly defined by the legislature, rather than the courts. Lenity is warranted where the courts have the task of discerning the undeclared will of the legislature in an ambiguous statute. In that instance, the language used in a criminal statute is to be read, with the saving grace of common sense with which other enactments, not cast in technical language, are to be read. Thus, the mere possibility of articulating a narrower construction does not by itself make the rule of lenity applicable Smith v. United States. The rule applies only if, after seizing everything from which aid can be derived, we can make no more than a guess as to what the legislature intended. To invoke the rule, we must conclude that there is a grievous ambiguity or uncertainty in the statute. There is no such ambiguity here in the language of the statute and there is ample evidence of the stated legislative intent for the 2002 amendment. Defendant offers no reasonable argument why the theft of a credit card bearing the account number to enable a purchase would constitute larceny, while theft of the credit card account number itself used to enable the purchase would not. Application of the rule of lenity is therefore unwarranted. Finally, defendants' remaining evidentiary arguments as to the surveillance footage are without merit. 
His additional argument that the court erred in allowing the victim to provide hearsay testimony that the Uber driver confirmed defendant's identity is not preserved. Accordingly, the order of the appellate division should be affirmed. Order affirmed. Opinion by Chief Judge DeFiori. Judges Stein, Fahey, Garcia and Feynman concur. Judge Rivera dissents in part in an opinion in which Judge Wilson concurs.